Michael Vaughn and one and all, and welcome back once again to the Literary Baptist, the show where we examine great works of literature from the perspective of a particular Baptist. Hello to the entire panel this evening. How is everyone? All at once. Good. I'm, I'm going to quit asking this question eventually. <laughs> I got no, the gold medal. It's it's like when you ask a teenager, "How was your day?" Mm. <laughs> what did you How learn in school, school today? Uh, Nothing. Didn't learn anything. <laughs> uh, sounds like public school. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. know, but uh, I've heard I, tell. I would. Know. I would know. <laughs> I would know. <laughs> Uh, I do so uh, to uh, to make a uh, somewhat of an apology. the The video part of the last episode got corrupted, and I wasn't able to produce it. And so the initial appearance of the cream cheese hat uh, was completely missed. And I do feel I'll take the regrets uh, for that to my grave. So my apologies to the audience for depriving them of of what could have been. But I'm glad Nick has fixed that and made remedy cream cheese is back cream cheese is back man you shouldn't have listened to melkor and then he wouldn't have corrupted the video yeah that's true that's a good point i i was working on the video in secret and we all know what happens when you work on works of art <laughs> in secret that's, <laughs> that's good this video will be your red helmet <laughs> sword. so uh speaking of melkor we are back um we get to see both uh both big bad boys of of the first age uh in this chapter um the next chapter being uh which i was so stoked that we finally got here after what seems like 10 years of podcasting <laughs> The uh, of the Silmarils and the unrest of the Noldor, a truly uh, a truly pivotal chapter. So now I'm I'm curious before we start, how many of us read it with our eyeballs or had Andy Circus read it to us <laughs> into our ears? I did. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm in the auditory category this time. I used my eyeballs. Yeah, I'm with cream I cheese. I listened to, to the circus one, and that was awesome. And then I read it afterwards because it's short enough to do both. Yeah, I think this is the first recording since the circus audiobook uh, came out on Audible, and uh, it is it is dynamite. I told somebody the other day I think it, it's going to be like the gateway drug for a new generation to read the Silmarillion. Mm -hmm. either either we will be or or this audiobook will be either or it could be the same level of influence <laughs> yeah. we should have we should yeah. have him on here and just give him a platform yeah. where you know he could become famous look right. you know, yeah, andy we know people people only know you as the voice of Gollum. why don't you come on the show and really tell the world that you're an audiobook producer now and one of the one of the greats he could use that that publicity from us yeah, we'll we'll give him a platform. This is the open invitation. We know you listen. <laughs> listen, Andy. We we know you listen to every single episode of this pod. So you're welcome to come on here anytime you're you're available. So hit us up at the links. 
<laughs> we always want to help out the little guy whenever we can. Yeah, you know, that's our responsibility. Yeah. With with great power comes great responsibility. That's right. Great with great pod comes great <laughs> with great pod comes great responsibility. Sure. Yes. Man, um, I, that that might end up in the uh, in the uh, podcast description. I love that. Anyway, for I don't know, maybe this is a, a literary criticism on my part. It's it seems like Tolkien just kind of throws the jewels at us like right at the start. Like there's no real like lead up to it. I, I kind of wish I knew more of the, like, the inspiration, like, some of the inner thoughts of Feanor that inspired him to, like, why three jewels, right? Not not one jewel. Um, you know, why not two jewels, since there are two trees, where he takes the, he, so he takes the light of the two trees and infuses it in these jewels made of some material that nobody knows what it is. I just kind of wish I knew more about what was going on in his mind before we see him craft him in the text. I don't know if that was something that occurred to anybody else. He kind of mentions it. He likes the trees. He's like, I want to keep that going for a long time. Uh, which is something I... I, I respect I, that. Yeah, I respect... Like, if you see something that is beautiful and nice, and you say, you know what? I want to preserve that for as long as possible. That's like what museums exist to do. That's what like archives exist to do. So he's he's like a museum guy. So a museum, kind of... a museum is a Silmaril of knowledge. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Unless it's in France and then it gets burned down. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> And a lot of them building museum buildings are pretty ugly. Uh, they don't really make them to look like diamonds uh, anymore. Uh, yeah, they fill them with garbage. <laughs> yeah. So. We need to forge your museums into tiny little crystal stones. Yes. To save them. I agree. That's how we preserve things. I mean, it, it would make them tamper proof. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna be worried about vandalism in that scenario. Nobody's breaking it's, that window. It sounds very Star Wars to me. I'm down. You know but where Obi Wan goes to the library and he has the little crystals <laughs> and stuff, right? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean I was thinking of the time machine from uh Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta put in the crystals. <laughs> oh my goodness! But I, yes, I actually do think that pre preservation is yeah. The preservation is it's a good thing. Like I, so I went and I was using, I was doing some work with microfilm archives this past. Well, I guess it was last week, and. Some I have I saw some where there was a whole line scratched out. I don't know what happened when mm. they were making the microfilm, but that's lost unless mm. there's another copy somewhere else. But usually there isn't, and so 
that kind of stuff is lost. And so I understand mm-hmm. like he has some kind of the shadow of foreknowledge, possibly, you know, that mm-hmm. something's going to happen. And so he's like, well, let's preserve this as much as we can. And, I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that yeah. was something I wanted to talk about, which I thought was a very interesting little, little reference there. <clears throat> shadow of foreknowledge. Where's that? Where's that coming from? Is that just some some special blessing? Is that is that a is that part of his like secret fire burning in his heart? Probably middle knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> this was the best of all possible outcomes. Just to be yeah, clear, he's he listening to William Craig. And then he decided. Yeah. We we affirm against the papacy uh, here. I you know in order to make that completely clear, and thus we will also affirm against uh, Molinism, which is which is related. Yeah. Super clear. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Can't let yeah. can't leave people wondering where we stand on these things. You know, I think the the intro to well, I would just say first that the language throughout this chapter was he used a lot of key metaphors throughout a lot of burning fire type metaphors, mm-hmm. um, and it ju- it just that shadow of foreknowledge, doom, all that stuff. Like right off the bat, it's very foreboding. Um, and I think what was so significant to me that stood out in this chapter is kind of like the, the in some sense, independence that Feanor has from Melkor. It's not just like Feanor only does the bad stuff because of Melkor. Mm-hmm. He hates as him. We, he's, he's like yeah. his number one enemy. And as we get into it, you know, later, there is some interplay there. But I just thought that was interesting that he kind of that lust is one of the words that was used a couple times in this chapter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though he's like desiring to preserve it it doesn't seem like it's all out of goodwill uh even though it doesn't necessarily say right here like that he's trying to preserve it for himself but there's that kind of sense of pride in him wanting to keep something alive longer than it's supposed to be yeah i don't know that's kind of what i took from this beginning section here yeah melkor in this chapter is kind of marked by that lust that you mentioned and feanor is marked by pride in a, mm-hmm. in a pretty major way so i'm i guess Something I've wondered. So you know, so we in the third age we talk about you know how basically the the fate of the world hangs on the existence or destruction of the One Ring, right? Um, we can we can kind of describe it that way. But but truly, the fate of the world, like you wouldn't have a One Ring without the Silmarils. You know, it's a very similar a similar thing, and and the the division that comes over because of the Silmarils and people laying claim to to owning them uh really is what kind of begins the great struggle uh in the world um 
in, in a way that you really couldn't even say of Melkor's struggle against the, the other Valar. Like this is this is um a power struggle um among the the children of Iluvatar in a in a in a real way that actually uh, that affects the world affects the people of the world. I I yeah I think that's interesting. Like there's a like there's a reason this whole thing, this whole like because this this book stretches uh, two entire ages of Middle Earth, and there's a reason it's called the Silmarillion. <laughs> Because these things are so core to the story of of the whole world, not just not just this book, but all of Middle Earth. And I I guess one question in my mind. So we've talked a little bit about Feanor's motivations, but are the Silmarils evil objects? The way that that the One Ring is an evil object. I would say no. no. Saying, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Can't have one. <laughs> Sorry, can't allow that to happen. Well, in uh, in in Zatch's part of the world, a, a Coke can mean anything. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. I'll take a Sprite. <laughs> one of them Sprite Cokes. <laughs> what kind of Coke you want? <laughs> <laughs> Zach wants a caffeine-free diet coke. No, I don't. That's the good stuff. Oh, sorry, no, that's just nectar. That's, that that. that's the nectar. Ugh. No. Mm. No, that's wrong. Um, we 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 talked about you know stuff being in. Stuff being done in secret—that's been one of our themes in the in the uh, in the chapters up till now, where you know Aule makes the dwarves in secret and then has to bring them out in shame and and offer to destroy them. You know, all all this secret stuff is is a sign that evils evils being done, and yet here the the greatest creation that Feanor will ever make, um, and perhaps the greatest work of craftsmanship craftsmanship in Middle Earth. And he does present him. He presents the jewels to the Valar. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that's an interesting move because if I'm him, if I well, let me st- let me state this a different way. If 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 I am him and I'm as evil as everybody says I am, this would be the number one thing I would keep secret. <laughs> I wouldn't show them to anybody. They they'd be His just. Mine. doesn't allow that though. Who doesn't his yeah. pride? Yeah, he he has to be recognized. I was Cause... reading Matthew six this morning, and in it, you know, that's don't go around sounding a trumpet saying I'm giving, mm. you know, given to doing all these good works and everything. And so, I mean, that's kind of what he's doing. So it's it's may not be secret, but it's basically the equivalent of like showing up it's what the pharisees always have done mm-hmm. yeah uh, so well and another thing why the summerals are different from the ring is that they kind of possess on that first page of the chapter it talks about that it houses the inner fire hmm. they kind of have a life of their own in a sense 
from the trees. And then later, um, it says about Fanor that he seldom remembered now that the light within them was not his own. Ooh. So there's definitely that element where the one ring is 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 uh, forged to control and and use your will to control. Uh, the Silmarils are not really like forged with any sort of purpose of exerting willpower. It's more that kind of their power and their beauty and their and their brightness essentially is what it is. Their light is um, innate because he trapped the light from the trees into them. So it's not something he put in there of his own power. Um, so yeah and then, then they're hollowed later by the I think it was Varda by Varda yeah yeah uh, one <clears throat> just uh, I want to read the the couple sentences that, that you were referring to um, here we go oh so I'll go a little little earlier yet that crystal the crystal that they're made of yet that crystal was to the Simurils but as is the body to the children of Iluvatar the house of its inner fire that is within it and yet in all parts of it and is its life. And the inner fire of the Silmarils, Feanor made of the blended light of the trees of Valinor, which lives in them yet, though the trees have long withered and shine no more. Therefore, even in the darkness of the deepest treasury, the Silmarils of their own radiance shone like the stars of Varda. And yet, as were they in, indeed living beings, living things, they rejoiced in light and received it and gave it back in hues more marvelous than before. So they so they made little rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Yeah. I thought it was interesting. He he like refers to the crystals as if they were like the way our bodies are to us. I think that's really, really almost referring to them as if they were living beings, living yeah. things. That sentence was a very confusing uh, simile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I had to read it a couple times. Like, is he saying that they're part of the children of Luke? No, no. Okay, I get it. So it's like yeah. they house they house the inner light, mm -hmm. but it's the way that the way that people do. But, yeah and but yeah inseparable from yeah because like we are our bodies but yeah right we're not we're not gnostics right and neither was Tolkien. Oh, I, I am Sorry. <laughs> you're a gnostic manichaean <laughs> yes that's what all calvinists really are so yeah don't wasn't there let something the secret that, out wasn't there something that the manichaeans oh, they like there was like something about like certain certain people like certain I think they called them elects would like emit grace and I think sometimes they like don't don't quote me on this I think they like bottled their farts and stuff oh that's like there was... and sold them on eBay <laughs> yeah <laughs> like people people brought them special food so they would make special farts I'm not even gonna lie <laughs> that I mean, that if is we're a gonna thing. be accused of this then. You Let's know, go winning Rome. So this sounds like a good life. Bring me all the broccoli. 
People are so weird. <laughs> Pagan's gonna peg. Um, because they think another... like part of your soul was <laughs> kind, of, kind of like when people people were supposed to say "bless you" when you sneeze because like they thought yeah. you were losing your soul when you sneezed. Maddie couldn't even finish it. <laughs> Can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, trying to be a lady the, their, their, their farts gave their own radiance <laughs> they rejoiced in farts received them and gave them back in hues more marvelous than before <laughs> could you imagine if somebody's listening to this right now and then nope. somebody walks in their room Only and they're Andy like Circus. what are you listening to yeah Andy Serkis is I don't know if he's married but his wife walks in what are you listening to uh, podcast about the summer rules, and we're just talking about farts. This is serious stuff, your Andy. Farts. Farting your radiance. <laughs> <laughs> that should be like one of your uh, Gnostic Manichaean blessings that you would mm-hmm. say at the end of your sermon. <laughs> May you fart with radiance. <laughs> May the radiance of these farts be with you. May it linger long in the rooms where you And live. also with you. I receive it. <laughs> I receive it. I receive it. This is how like a weird fringe like Bethel Hillsong cult like oh my God. branches off. With the it's more than grave soaking. Having farting contests. Fart soaking yes. is what it's called. Fart, fart soaking. soaking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do when my husband's in the car with us and he looks Shuts the windows. <laughs> Never go directly though. We learned that in science class. I like how it. he locks he locks the windows first. Yeah. And then you're like, why? Oh no. Okay. He, he's he's reclaiming the term uh hot box from the tokers. Oh my gosh. He's exactly doing us what a that favor is. blessing us with his radiance. I, I've always said he's an American <laughs> hero, and you're only adding to his resume. <laughs> He's going to be really happy that I'm sharing this. <laughs> but I'm the one that's had to suffer through all of it, so it's only right. Yeah, you, you have the right of victimhood. You're going to tell us you haven't added your own radiance? <laughs> no, I'm a lady. Yeah, girls don't fart. We know this. Yeah. My husband was oh. very clear on that from the beginning. Girls oh, don't okay. fart. Or do other things like that. It's true. Still a series uh, of memes coming on. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Oh, please no. Please no. I'm glad I'm on a hiatus. <laughs> I, I want to return to something we mentioned earlier about like the imagery of Please like... do. <laughs> We're gonna segue <laughs> over to uh um d- talking about like fire imagery. And this again, this is within the first couple paragraphs of of the chapter. Um so Feanor brings the Silmarils, um, and Varda hallowed the Silmarils, so that thereafter no mortal flesh, nor hands unclean, nor anything of evil will might touch them, but it was scorched and withered. And Mandos uh, foretold that the fates of Arda, earth, sea, and air, lay locked within them. Uh, that curse is really important for for later events concerning um the the great MacGuffin quest for for the Silmarils among among different factions that if you touch them 
and you're and you're not basically unholy hands can't touch him. Unclean hands, no mortal flesh can touch him. And and doggone it, some people try. Hmm. Yet Feanor can touch them apparently. He's confirmed good guy. Feanor did nothing <laughs> wrong. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it wasn't his fault, guys. Yeah, this was definitely one of the most papist paragraphs in the chapter. Yeah, big papist vibes. But Should be protesting uh, that, right? Still, really we've, important. Yeah, we've got relics here, baby. <laughs> don't 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 touch the finger bone of of Saint uh, Saint Edmund. Or do handle catch fire. This is a little less creepy though. It's a lot. It's better when it's jewels rather than like it, bits yeah. of dead person. It's certainly a lot My more opinion. tempting. It's a lot yeah. more tempting to try to grab a jewel rather than, you know, a finger bone, a, a desiccated really, finger bone. I'm bummed that I didn't try to go on a rabbit trail about why jewels. Well, There's still ra- time. Rabbit trails I'm... are welcome. Yeah, we just did just... one about farts, so <laughs> that you're gonna edit out later. Gonna... Heavens, no! It's staying. oh, that's that's gotta stay. <laughs> well, it's right there. I will veto any request to cut that out. Human-shaped beaver dams. So, <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut. We are a full service, and that was a good one. Beaver dam in the shape of Lee. <laughs> that was a that was a, a top shelf meme too yes it was yeah. it came out of that yeah what what's let's hear your uh iceberg theory about about jewels why the purpose or the why why they're jewels and not something else oh mine yeah no this is like you a have thoughts seed seed of a theory of an of thinking of a theory I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious why Tolkien chose that. Like why, like you were saying earlier, why three and not just Mm -hmm. one or Mm -hmm. not two or whatever. I'm just curious why he chose jewels. And then that just brings up thoughts of just human history and the Mm -hmm. searching after jewels and gems. And they represent the three ages. Ooh. Oh. Did it. Yeah. Man. Or maybe they... it's like a Trinitarian heresy. Partialism or something. Maybe. Are they fungible? Like, are they the same? <laughs> Would you like to define that word? Can the syllables like, be funged? <laughs> could, could, like, if you had a Silmaril, and, like, if I had one and Lee had one and we traded, is it? Is it the same thing? Hmm. Or do they have like differences to them? Like say uh, the Elvish rings of power, for example. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so some of the, like there's, there's not much information about them. Like jewels mm-hmm. are nice. I like jewels. Mm-hmm. Jewels last a long time. They're not, they don't rot. And uh, typically like, when we think jewels. about jewels, we're, we're thinking about the way they look when light hits them. So, you know, it's, it's not that far off of an idea of like, oh, what would happen if a jewel emitted light rather than taking in light? Um, but it's confusing also to me, like, 
why would Feanor think, why would Feanor blend the lights of the two trees, right? Because one glows silver and the other glows uh, gold. And they kind of like, almost like where sun and moon meet and then pass each other. One waxes and the other wanes and then they, they go back and forth. Why blend the lights? Why blend their light and then put them into three? I See, if it, if it was me uh, writing this, I would have said he made two jewels, one for... Uh man, I, I can I I can always remember Telperion, but I can't remember the other tree's name. But I would have one jewel for each tree, almost like to preserve the individual trees in their own in their own jewel. But maybe part of his pride is like they they gave two trees. I'm gonna take that light and I'm gonna make three things. <laughs> like I'm gonna one up the Valar on that to go from the pride angle. That sounds like something a sinner would do. We don't we don't know what the size of the jewels were, do we? I think it fit it on his forehead. Yeah. I mean, so maybe So he, not this big. <laughs> maybe it could only stuff so much light into one jewel, you know? Uh -huh, maybe. That could be. That's the one of the weirdest things I've ever said. And when he was making them, he's like, he just got one bucket's worth of light. It just mm -hmm. happened to be three jewels worth. Right. Yeah. yeah that well, makes sense. and you, you have like remnants of light. You have the the biblical numbers. Fanor seven sons. He makes three Silmarils. Like, I don't know if Tolkien was kind of going with that vibe or not, but there's three jewels and they all have the same essence. <laughs> I have an idea. So, in, in that sentence that I that I Partialism, read, Patrick, <laughs> I dare somebody to do a Scottish accent and try to say it. It's not oh, gonna be. Don't ask me to do accents. Um. So part of part of the doom that Mandos uh, declares is that the fates of Arda, Earth, Sea, and Air lay locked within them, and not to mm. get too spoilery, but each one of the Silmarils has a definitely uh gains a connection with one of those elements over time. Yeah. So it could be almost this is a summing up of the natural elements of the world and their connection to Valinor, maybe. Like cuz eventually the world is going to be sundered and you're you'll never reach Amon. You know, at this point you could sail anywhere. You could sail directly to Amon from from uh, Middle Earth if you wanted to. Uh, and at some point, they're going to be sundered. The world's going to be turned into a globe. It's flat right now for all you flat earthers out there. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that maybe there's a, a connection with the, the natural forces of the world and the supernatural force in, in Valinor, in the trees. It's another idea. It's kind of like the rings in Captain Planet. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Captain Planet is where I learned what the Soviet Union was. Because <laughs> because I was really? I was born after the wall fell. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, so You're there so was young. There, yeah, I'm a baby. Oh, I'm so old. And I remember watching an episode of that, and they're like, "Hey, the Russian girl has one." She's like, "I'm not Russian. I'm Soviet." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> 
we hadn't covered that in school yet. So I'm like, what the heck is a Soviet? <laughs> I think my dad went, them darn commies. And that was it. That was all I needed. Because <laughs> that's Still true today. totally the way my dad talks. <laughs> you'll believe that, you'll believe anything. Um, it's so hard for me to not link to the spoiler. I know. I mean, we can Especially if you want to. Frodo. Um, I mean, we don't have to. We don't have to lay it all out. Like, tease but the I think spoiler. when you're thinking of like the light emanating and how Frodo gets a special gift that's very bright. I think they did an okay job with that in the movie. Yeah. And, and you know, light comes from them like the stars of Varda. So there's yes. a big connection with, with stars. With elves yes. over all their life. All, they all love stars. So it makes sense. Also that. <clears throat> Correct. Uh, I, I have to read. So to be on to. So to be completely honest, I the first I prepped for this episode was with the uh, uh the audiobook so i took it in fresh again having it being read to me and there was a line when uh i was mowing when i listened to it and when andy circus read it i i actually stopped the mower and rewound like reversed it and i'm like i have to hear this line again because it was so good uh i was i was going to write it down in my notebook but i didn't have it with me but I found it in my copy. Uh, so speaking of Melkor, uh, I'll, I'll start a little before the line. Uh, from, from from that time forth, uh, inflamed by this desire, uh, he, mean, meaning Melkor, sought ever more eagerly how he should destroy Feanor and end the friendship of the Valar and the Elves. But he dis but he dissembled his purposes with cunning, and nothing of his malice could yet be seen in the semblance that he wore. Long was he at work, and slow at first, and barren was his labor. And here's the line that, that got me. But he that sows lies in the end shall not lack for of a harvest, and soon he may rest from toil indeed, while others reap and sow in his stead. I was like, dude. We got like some that was like, good philosophy going on here. <laughs> That's a some dope uh, line. Demonology going on here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest, and soon he may rest from toil indeed, while others reap and sow in his stead. So like all the all those lies just build up and snowball and eventually other people will start pushing that snowball and you can you can back off. Yeah. It's like state propaganda. <laughs> I so badly did not want to go to like current events <laughs> with those thoughts. <laughs> Cause it seems like pretty obvious, like current context obvious. Like, it talking about the trans thing all of it everything <laughs> literally everything yeah. nick's gonna say something no oh boy. i'm not gonna say something just well, say yes, it I am. 
Okay. Just say it. It's a little out of order. That's the only thing. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's not just that these lies perpetuate and, and, you know, become bigger lies or whatever. In some cases, like this one, they become truth. Like, they, mm-hmm. that actually brings about the, <clears throat> yeah. the thing that he's kind of sneakily doing, saying. Uh, it, it, that's what brings it about. Uh, and 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 with um with Feanor, this is really out of order. I'm going like cool. two cool. out of the five pages ahead here, but his whole story here reminds me of like those Greek stories, like Oedipus, where mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, you're gonna marry your mother," and he's like, mm-hmm. "Forget that, I'm leaving." And his leaving is like what leads to him being able to marry his mother, um, mm-hmm. and it it kind of feels like almost like that, like like uh, Melkor, you know, sends out these lies, and those lies bring about the the thing that he's lying about. They bring about the truth. Mm-hmm. They make it truth uh, because you know then he causes all the family issues and things like that. So it's it's kind of a weird. They're not lies because they become truth, even mm-hmm. though they were lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it's like the ends and the means kind of thing, except mm-hmm. like the truth doesn't justify the lie. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a lie to begin with, but just because it became truth doesn't make it cool. Yeah. So what you're saying is you can mm-hmm. speak your own truth, and then yeah, that's what I'm saying. Eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He manifested it, guys. Yeah, yeah. He, he manifested. It's like the secret. Like he yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, he loved that book, Melkor. He had that book, The Secret. He watched. He's watching the movie and everything. He, he loves, loves secrets. Stuff. Yeah, he, he does. Knew what he wanted, and he spoke it into existence. Yeah, it did. It did hearken to me to James, the book of James, with the tongue. You know setting a fire mm-hmm. ablaze or a forest mm-hmm. ablaze um just mm-hmm. the idea that you can really just how dangerous lies are and i think that's why it's so easy to think of a context a current one a past one historical that how lies can become so pervasive that in a, in many cases they can become true in a sense um you know we see we see that today in in many ways just how people are so divided over things that they need not be but they were told that they're divided and now we're divided because you know whatever we're all fighting um yeah just that i i loved that line because it just it was so wisdomous <laughs> Wisdomous. All right. That's some coinage. <laughs> nice friends reference. You know, yes. you are you're onto something with with the reference to James, because I think the the folks in this chapter could you could have used uh, a lot of a lot of the book of James because I was thinking about uh James four talking about like what causes quarrels and fights, uh your passions at war within you. Uh, and especially when it comes to like greed, because greed is part of this as well, um, and just general like 
pernicious selfishness. Um, There's such a good lesson too. And like, I don't even remember if you read after that line, but um, where it says ever Melkor found some ears that would heed him and some tongues that would enlarge what they had heard and his lies passed from friend to friend as secrets of which the knowledge proves the teller wise. Oh, it's bitterly, bitterly did the Nolder atone for the folly of their open ears in the days that followed after. It's such a good picture to really warn us. I mean, this whole story warns you of listening to lies and, and it's almost just as pervasive as a problem as lying in the first place as it mm-hmm. is to be somebody who's quick to listen to a lie that lack of discerning um and they paid for it because they were quick to listen to the lie and and make it worse spoiler but you read the chapter it's kind yeah, of they hard are to, they are boxed to... in by the lies they were told to believe you can't always know that something's a lie until you hear it and are able to kind of test it. So it's kind of hard to, I guess that's not completely true, but you know, you can't always know like, oh, what what Zach's about to say is going to be a lie. I'm not gonna listen. Sometimes you do have to actually hear and then say, hmm, but that puts you in the, you know, in, the, in this position where you're listening to it. So, mm-hmm. I, I find it hard to fault them somewhat for listening to the lies. It's sharing them, passing them on is, is, you know, that's, that's bad, (laughs) but, but listening to them, which he does fault them, but it's, I, I, what are they supposed to do? Just ignore everyone? You know, like, I but, know. but I think, I think when he's saying open ears that, that, that's like them being perceptive to the lie it's not just them listening like hearing you out but being like fertile ground for your lie yeah to take e- eager to hear receptive. that eager yeah, to hear okay. that yeah. lie all right fine I mean, there's a there's a quote by i'm gonna <laughs> butcher it by solzhenitsyn uh, kind of on this we're basically saying like what um the thing that leads people into into being controlled by by tyrants is willfully participating in lies and basically the way to be liberated is to not participate in telling lies or believing lies so you can Mm -hmm. hear you you have to have discernment you have to hear the lie in order to and then compare it with the truth in order to know that it's a lie and thus discard it but but the the key to all the tyrannical regimes of the 20th century for example were the people were required to believe lies even if they thought they were lies, they were still required to act as if they were the truth. And I think that's pretty similar to what's going on here too. Uh, Melkor is exerting an amount of, of um, evilly divine force over people uh, with his cunning. Because remember he is a, he is a, 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 I want to say a God, I guess kind of a God or, or demigod or archangel, something like that a spiritual authority. Mm-hmm. I think that's at play too. Yeah. And he had everybody fooled at this point too. Like he's reformed, you know, 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. He's already been to jail and they let him out. He's yeah. Yeah. He's he's done his time. Yeah. Yeah. At one point I wrote on a later section of this chapter, um, very angel of light. Mm -hmm. Mm Esque, you know, where he, he just presents himself so amenable and amiable and like he's like he's helping you know like he's offering to help or he's you know giving you some warnings because he's your friend or whatever that is a really really good analog to satan in this chapter oh yeah oh yeah yeah using fair words particularly in the garden yeah um, I love the thing he it's a, visions he would conjure in their hearts of the mighty realms that they could have ruled at their own will in power and freedom in the east, of course, in the east. And then whispers went abroad that the Valar had brought the Eldar to Amon because of their jealousy, fearing that the beauty of the Quendi and the maker's power that Iluvatar had bequeathed to them would grow too great for the Valar to govern as the elves waxed and spread over the wide lands of the world. It's so like satan trying to tempt jesus on the mountain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like oh imagine the realms that could be yours if you just threw off the shackles of the valar and come with me <laughs> bow, well, bow and, to me <laughs> and that sowing of distrust is like so huge in this chapter how he he sows <clears throat> the distrust of the eldar towards the Valar. So he's like, they didn't they didn't let you in on all this information. I'm gonna tell you, you know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna warn you. So then he sows distrust towards them, he sows distrust towards one another. Mm-hmm. Um that's huge. Mm-hmm. In a real like Satan's real ploy. I mean, that's kind of what he did in the in the garden. Did God really say? Mm. So you distrust. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have a frame of reference for it either. Like there wasn't anything for them to look at and go, oh, he's just, he's telling us lies because he, he kind of wasn't right. Like telling them about the coming of the, of men, you mm-hmm. know, eventually yeah. like the Valor, Hey, the, the other Valor didn't tell you about this. Mm-hmm. And that was true. Yeah. They didn't he, tell he knew what was in the music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, and the elves didn't. Sort of. He wasn't paying attention, though. It says that he wasn't. He was like kind of focused on his own thing. He knew he, he enough was... to to leave some spoilers to twist it. Yeah. 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 But just because he was playing jazz during the orchestra doesn't mean he didn't know what they were playing. <laughs> You're never yes. not playing jazz. But like that line that he tells Fanor later, um, where he says, "For am I not Vala also?" Oh. Yeah, that and scene more is than so those good. who sit in pride in Val- Valinar. And I have ever been a friend to the Noldor. Like, he totally puts them, like, they're the prideful ones. I'm a Valar. Like, I don't know. I was like, ooh, crazy. That scene was so good. Because he, like, it was. Com- Melkor completely overshoots it. Like he's so yeah. hopped up on himself and his plan. He's like, oh, I've got like this is this was supposed to be his like checkmate move. 
and and instead it results in Feanor basically slamming the door in his face <laughs> at his house in Formanos. Which I think is just hilarious. Like he kind of almost like the Melkor's like met his match when it comes to cunning and uh and pride. Yeah. I I don't know enough about like all um Norse mythology, but this whole scene, the play out of all this stuff, the brotherly rivalry, all of that just I could just like visualize, especially with the circus um, audio. Mm -hmm. I think he did such a good job with the voices, obviously. So people like if if you have a credit, just use it. Just get it. Just get it. Just get it. It is so good. It's it's phenomenal. Um. Yeah, uh, I want to talk a little bit about about Feanor's sins in the process. Um, so, you know, he so he does some very bad. So, so we okay. Sorry to back up. So we've talked about his work making the Silmarils, and I think we've pretty much decided the Silmarils. The Silmarils are definitely not evil. Uh, it was not an evil thing to make them. However, it was prideful. Um, so. Like maybe he didn't have the best of intentions, but they were still an object worthy of being hallowed by Varda. Okay, so so that's fine. But then we start seeing the effect of his of his pride against his already strained family relations. We sh- we should say, mm. uh, like we talked about last time, um, and so, uh. The Valar knew of the co- the coming of men that were to be, um, so Melkor's been talking to to uh, the Noldor, especially about about men. Um, the Noldor began to murmur. I'm trying to find the place that I want to talk about. Um, well, while we're, while we're there, um, yeah. what is up with Manway? God doesn't ever do anything. He's he so comes- passive. <laughs> He's like he really is passive is exactly the word every time. It's just mm-hmm. like, dude, do something, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, His you know, eagles are eagles way more to active these... in the world than he is. Yeah, well, they could have brought the ring. Uh, like, dude, send these, do something, and he's just like, hmm. And he just sits around, does nothing. I mean, he knows the music though. Yeah, but well, he, he part knows of, the music. Part best. of the music, he does know the yeah. music. Jeez. Just he could do things too. It and then, must play out this way. Even though I'm number one Ulmo apologist, I do feel like this is something Ulmo should have been involved in because he kind of like he kind of hates basically everything that goes on in Valinor. Like it, it like doesn't exist to him. But the, like, but being in touch with the the children of Luvatar in a way that I don't think any other Vala is. I feel like he could have been helpful in this scenario had he been looking westward instead of purely on Middle-earth. Well, I'm upset with Manway, so... (laughs) I like how how 
Tolkis like hears Melkor is up to something. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna go Man, try to is... find this guy." He he he's can't. So he doesn't find him, but he he's like, but he's ready. <laughs> he's like cracking his knuckles. Tolkien smash. He's the opposite of Manway. I mean, he's not Manway doesn't All even action, like. No thought. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't tell the elves about the men coming. He doesn't do anything at the the trial. Uh, like he just is. He's just a passive. Like, hmm. Hey, everyone, just me hanging out here doing nothing. Uh, like, what's the purpose of of what? Why do you exist? He just does nothing. Tell us how you really feel, Nick. Yeah, no, I think it's really not bitter about it. I I, I don't think it's Melkor kind of seems like he's right a little bit. That's all. Why is he even there? (laughs) Melkor did nothing wrong. Yeah, I I don't think it's by accident that Monway lives on the top of the highest mountain that was ever created, right? He is that far removed from the actions of the world. I think I lost you there, Nick. I didn't hear what you said. I said shameful. <laughs> no, I don't know. But yeah, do the I work, mean, I guess Monway. The, the, yeah, do the work. Come on. Get, get woke. Each time I read about it, I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> and I get the point, you know, oh, he knows the music and everything. And, you know, I, I get that. But just throw us a bone here okay i i have i have a counterpoint i don't know okay. if it's going to be convincing to you but and it, it's, it's so we're i'm getting and i'm going to get ahead of myself when it comes to the sins of feanor but the same way that that feanor's brother won't turn him over to justice i think the same thing happens with monwe and melkor because they are as much as Valar can be kin, they are kin. Uh, and I don't know if he, if he like, he's blinded by understanding Melkor's heart so much that it gives him pause when it comes to stopping him. Like he's too, like he's he's too close relationally with Melkor. If, if I don't know if I'm saying this right, but like having a, a a level of familiarity with him in like a kin sense, not necessarily like in constant fellowship sort of way, but like just knowing him because he's his brother. Like he, this is my brother. I know he's doing, doing something wrong, but we can fix this. You know, we've already tried in, 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 in let him out once he's, he's going to be okay. He's just my punk kid brother. You know what I mean? The way we'll make excuses for, for family members we love but that are hurting themselves or hurting others when we should step in and not um enable them i don't know that's one idea that's a good point so melkor's like loki and ragnarok i i absolutely yeah. think so i absolutely think he is like a uh a a, a, a parallel to actual loki not marvel loki <laughs> Although I will say Marvel Loki is one of the better characters in those movies. Yeah. Fantastic character. Agreed. But bad, I don't know, bad guys are always, 
I think, more interesting characters than than heroes are. That's because you're a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am. It's true. Yeah. I, I, but, yeah. <laughs> the whole simultaneous with the with being rendered just as well. Speaking of them being related, yeah. I was also thinking there's another parallel with Melkor and Manwe. Melkor is like the Latter-day Saint version of Satan, and Manwe is the Latter-day Saint version of Jesus. Oh, man. Uh, or, wait, oh, no. uh, you mean Jehovah. <laughs> I mean, really, how different? And Iluvatar Ilu- is Elohim. Ugh. No. I do not like this. Did you, did you know the Silmarillion was actually first written on two golden tablets? <laughs> By the Native Americans. You no, know, the Silmarillion yeah, would be a obviously. more believable story. It is a more believable story. <laughs> right, good, it point. Is. good point. It, it is. literally is. It only has like two versions. You should start go, yeah. going out and talking to Mormons about the Silmarils. Yeah. Can we compare your bomb with the Silmarillion? Tell them all about the Silmarils. Have you have you heard about Fionor placed the light of the Silmar of the trees in the Silmarils? If you ever catch a glimpse of them, you'll understand. The, the sign of the Silmaril. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you have to touch your head. Yeah. Instead of a, you have to go, you have like, to go to the Hall of Mandos to bap- <laughs> baptize for the dead. I like this. We could have a whole cult of the silver. We're gonna start going. a cult! Yay! <laughs> oh, fantastic! We should really we'll all start go to South America fake, together. A fake cult, <laughs> not a real cult. Fake cult. Like oh, like okay. flying spaghetti monster online. type type thing. Yeah. Start those on like yeah. YouTube and then you get real people who think they're really in it. Mm-hmm. Like flat earthers. Scientology is? Yes. Basically. And flat earthers also. <laughs> in Sorry, Hebrew roots. I, I definitely made us digress. Well, it was good. I just couldn't help it because we were talking about Nick going to a Mormon temple because he's a... Not... I should clarify this. They let people visit before it's like open. You went as a tourist. Yeah, I went as a tourist. Yeah. And he didn't even offer to purchase it. But it was gross. But thank goodness you've already been baptized. Otherwise, you could have gotten baptized right then and there. You should have gone to your nearest Southern Baptist church and gotten re-baptized after. (laughs) There's one next door. I gotta get Just tell them you need to rededicate your life. Yeah, hey. Listen, and I need to be you. washed. Oh. <laughs> that place was evil. It was bright. There was a lot of light. Mm. So, but it was evil. The level of brightness that, like, somebody who's overcompensating for how filled with darkness they are, how much yes. they try to look bright. Yes, exactly. It was like a faint smile. It was like, like an, are you like really an okay? Angel of- like yeah, it's like, is there anything behind those eyes? <laughs> Demon. The whole place felt like. total angel of light stuff. There were demons behind those eyes. Yes. Yeah. That's like when it's almost creepier than anything. It, it, it was. It was. 
and there were flies in the celestial room and so i made a joke about how the place was run by the lord of the flies and my wife wasn't happy with my joke because there were people around then in the corner there was some kid who who the kids call piggy hitting an inhaler what a kid getting beat to death a conch shell yeah, yeah. <laughs> so excited. it could well, very well have been going on right. <laughs> sucks to your asmar <laughs> <laughs> i loved that book zatch have you let have you read lord of the flies i never did no. oh that's oh, why you're bro. not getting all of our jokes yeah Dang i have it. no idea because he's like about. wow you guys are sick and twisted well it's like, it's hard because because we read it when we were in our when we were in our the prime of our youth but it hadn't been published yet when Zach was that age. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. So it's hard yeah. to read a book before it's <laughs> totally. published. Yeah, it's a 20th century novel. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's okay. That explains everything. Century. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I do want to reread that book. I do too. It's on my shelf. As an I read adult. The Hunger Games, so I don't need to. Ugh. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. I just remember being so traumatized. I had to read it like the summer before my eighth grade year or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, they killed the kid. Like, what mm-hmm. is going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's flipping it's dark. Alert. 1984. That that messed me up as an adult. Yeah. I read it in high school and it did not affect me near as much as it affected me when I read it this year. Dark. I wonder, was it anything like when I read the Left Behind series when Obama got, got elected? Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, I can't wow. read it anymore. Dispensational and racist. <laughs> well, the I Antichrist wondered... in those books was from like Eastern Europe. So he was definitely very white. So that was not a and racist issue <laughs> but everybody was telling me that obama was the antichrist and they did the whole plan words with abomination and oh my yeah gosh. i was all in on the dispy stuff for a while there so i totally freaked and out. he did he does have that big mole on his face too so like if you were looking for like a mark or something what oh my god are you saying that's the mark Mark and the Beast. People, well, there were people who said that about Shoot, Gorbachev. Do like, I have any moles? <laughs> you're I've like, got a mole, nope, but I, you're I, going to hell. You're going to I covered it up with my beard, so you'd never know. It's fine. No. Uh, no, because like that's, that was mark. part of the reason people thought Gorbachev was the Antichrist, because of that big birthmark on his head. That's so weird. So stupid. Dispies the birthmark or the view? All what? <laughs> oh, okay. No, thinking that the birthmark is like uh, a sign like of being the, the Antichrist. Yeah. Cause he that's was, like, like some Eastern European like superstition. Weirdness. You know, there's He's the some Baba Yaga. Countries... <laughs> He's dead. There's some countries where I'm totally digressing. We're going through an international adoption process. Some of the countries will actually have a special need and that's like for a child listed and that's having a birthmark. Birthmark is a special need? Yes. Why? I have no idea. I think in some places it's like a superstition. So then they would reject the child because of a certain type of birthmark. Others, you know, can be more severe like 
kind of like on your face and more mm. but it's kind of like uh what's her name that missionary and somewhere in africa i'm gonna say nigeria and the twins they would always kill the twins oh and yeah she would always save them or she would yeah. do her best yeah uh, when they the, the like use their bodies in magic rituals or something like their body parts or something <sighs> I think they thought they were bad luck. Or was that with that was people that had mispigmented skin? That's what it was. Like people that had too light of skin, they thought they were like an evil spirit or something. I mm. forget. I'm gonna say some... something controversial. Uh, stop the recording again. <laughs> <laughs> some, I think Christianity has done a great job of suppressing some of these crazy superstitions cut it off cut it off the show <laughs> <Yeah>. is over <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what, what are you doing i don't know i'm sorry what are you, what are you doing to us I'm trying to get us canceled <laughs> it's working that's what I except want. for the disp- dispensationalists they're pretty good on the superstitions oh yeah well you know the gospel really does push back the darkness though yeah. Yes. Like you, you don't have to be a completely unhinged, uh, um, eschatological optimist like some of us are, but it for real does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. And you really are unhinged. I'm. It takes. I'm it takes incredibly a... unhinged. I try to cover it up so much, but it comes out. Yeah, I haven't seen a single hinge. Gone hingeless. <laughs> It takes a very honest atheist to like admit that Christianity has actually helped mm-hmm. the humanitarian effort. Yeah. Because it, it's so inconsistent for them to care about anything. Mm-hmm. Like even, even racial disparity. Why would you care if you believe in evolution? Yeah. Why does that even matter? Yeah, why does it matter it that be... certain certain fizzing bags of chemicals that look one way uh, yeah. have have worse times in the world than people other fizzing bags that look a different way have? Yeah, we're just reorganized stardust. Just matter in motion. Matter? And this fizzing bags of chemicals gets me wanting some diet coke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were about to make the trip all the way back around to. Gnosticism. <laughs> this is like the opposite of Gnosticism. This is like <laughs> full on naturalism. Yeah, it's like bodies only, no souls. <laughs> Except for no- if you're occasional authentic self that tends to be a different gender than your body. Yeah. yeah. If you're two spirit, there's people, most people oh have no gosh. spirits, or you can be two spirit somehow. Your meat avatar is there for editing. <laughs> you know, the meat avatar thing, it, it really, that makes me think a lot about the, the book Altered Carbon, uh, which was mutilated in a, a, a Netflix adaptation. I do not recommend watching it, but it is a very interesting, I think I've probably talked to, I don't know if I've talked about it on here or just offline, yeah. but it is a fascinating novel. Um, fascinating. You know what else is fascinating? Fan or drawing swords. (laughs) (laughs) 
So are we um, still talking about that? Believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> I do want to I want to talk about this because this, this is really kind of my last point for the chapter. Um I when I was listening to the audiobook, uh he also read a letter of Tolkien's talking about um basically he like gives like a, a very brief history of Middle Earth, and a big part of it was um the rise of evil being the rise of the machine, basically. And so a lot of these, these you know, we might call them works of art, right? So it's a Silmar, the, the beauty of the Silmarils, the idea for Rings of Power, um, all these other things Pretty that true. are they're they're all machines, and they're they're all moving away from sort of a created natural order and beginning to uh, seek power for themselves, um, even if they were created for right reasons. They're they're seeking. They're seeking to take power. Um, and I kind of see a little shadow of that here when um, at the inspiration uh, or the, um, yeah, I, I would, I guess inspiration might be the word, the inspiration of Melkor, the, the Noldor start making weapons and hoarding them. Um, swords and axes and spears, shields also they made, displaying the tokens of many houses and kindreds that vied one with another. So they're already they're like engraving their um, sibling rivalry basically into into weapons. Uh, um, and these not only they wore abroad and of other weapons they did not speak, for each believed that he alone had received the warning. So like Melkor's playing them off against each other and like fixing to to start a civil war basically among this one large family um and Feanor made a secret forge <laughs> of course of which not even Melkor was aware and there he tempered fell swords for himself and for his sons and made tall helms with plumes of red bitterly did Maton rue the day when he taught to the husband of Nerdanel all the lore of metalwork that he had learned of Aulay and so now the you know so the so the boys, the half brothers, um, are are concerned. Finway's troubled. Fingolfin hastened to his halls and stood before him, saying, "King and father, wilt thou not restrain the pride of our brother Kuru Finway, aka Feanor, uh, who is called the Spirit of Fire, which is what Feanor means, all too truly? By what uh, by what right does he speak for all of our people as if he were king? And then of course, boom, Feanor walks into the room." Uh, and he had the helm on, and he had the sword, and he he actually brandishes the sword against his own half brother. Never has that has that happened in the in the blessed realm, right? Even in the war with Melkor, there was never like out and out, you know, hand to hand combat among the Valar. They were opposing each other by 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 their forces, you know, by their creative powers. But but here we actually have a brother ready to slay his brother almost a, a like a canon able scenario almost ready to happen it doesn't happen yet but it will happen like a canon able scenario within the noldor will happen later but not at this moment although it could have it could have happened a, an egregious terrible uh, occurrence And it's so I guess in my mind, I thought it was crazy how quickly we go from, you know, this achievement of making the Silmarils and they're and they're hallowed by the Valar 
um, this amazing thing. And then all of a sudden, with with just a few fair words from Melkor in a little bit of time, uh, he's now ready to kill his own his own brother. And he's he's trying to he's kind of trying to oppose Melkor, but he's doing exactly what Melkor wants him to do. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, think about it a little bit. Uh, if only someone like Manway could explain to him. Just talk some sense into him instead of just <laughs> chilling up in the mountain or whatever. But instead, he goes and does this. Uh, but you know, at this point, he doesn't really deserve to have any any more knowledge. Like he's already begun to misuse the knowledge that he's already been given. He's like not a worthy man to carry the lore. Yeah, and I guess this is what brings Melkor's evil out into uh, into, into the view. open. Um, so yeah and it's really just playing on an existing rift in their family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's already a dislike there's already a jealousy of fatherly favoritism um it's a very satanic thing to find that fault line and exploit it right yeah and fanor he's just He's just being cocky. I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, he's walking around super proud. He's got his Samarils. He's just... I think he does fancy himself a king. Yeah, he's behaving very entitled. And then to threaten his brother's life. And it's it's kind of like you see what you want to see. You know, Mm -hmm. like hear what you want to hear. He hears it from Melkor. He comes in there. He see his brother's trying to help, you know, deal with the obvious situation. And then Feanor's like, meh, I kill you. See, half-brother, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place in the love of my father, and maybe it will rid the Noldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. Yeah. Do it again. That was also really good by andy circus it was very well narrated by andy circus i feel like we need to start like a some sort of account with audible where we get some credits (laughs) for every time someone downloads a book because we recommended it 50 Uh, times in the same episode we should oh man we would earn we'd earn so many like sponsorship uh, dollars 67 cents Man, over ten years, that could pay for one of that's, our microphones. That's internet money right there. Started on cryptocurrency. Yeah, but it was really well performed by Andy Circus. Yeah. I really enjoyed that because it yeah. definitely made it come to life. Because yeah. this is my third read through, and it did not that scene did not stand out in my head the first time I read it. Mm -hmm. Which is probably fairly common. I mean, you're reading something like this, you don't know where it's going exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't follow like the trajectory of like what we would expect from a novel, for example. It doesn't hit those beats. Yeah. So if if you're struggling, I mean, this this chapter is pretty good. Oh yeah, but there's there's times I think when you struggle with this book a little bit, like where is he going with this? 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was very well acted. And uh, yep. Banor is an interesting character. I think yeah. it's really. I like the grittiness of um, Tolkien's work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell he understands human nature really well. Yeah. Um, like, I, and I think so. I, just to go back to what Nick had said before, you know, and I, I, I'm sure we've we've seen examples like this in real life, but so like, so so Fanor uh, is ready to to take out Fingolfin. Uh, obviously, the Valar hear about it. They give him a little trial, and they're like, "We're kicking you out," and and it's exactly it's exactly the scenario that Melkor had had painted from before. So like, um, the lie the lie became the truth, only truly only because of the significance of the passage of time. <laughs> and it, given enough, given enough time, enough repetition of the lie. Uh, build up that pressure in Fanor's mind. That that lie, that lie became reality. He was he was forced to leave the Blessed Isle. And uh, and take up residence elsewhere. It was a matter of the significance of the passage of time. That is significant. Which to elves, they've they've got all the time in the world, so they would be the perfect people to play out this kind of scenario on. Like you you do a little inception of one little lie here. You just water it a little bit here and there, and you've got centuries upon centuries that something mm. horrible could really grow out of that. We, you know, in this story, we have the benefit of seeing it happen in a kind of a short span of time. But imagine if if you're if you're a Melkor who likes to play the long game, you destroy an entire civilization that way if they live long enough. Which so, he does. You say that, but I'm thinking like. You know, if you if you said, "Hey, what were the like rivalries that you had in high school?" I don't I don't remember any of that kind of stuff. The elves must just have great memories to hold on to grudges and to hold on to lies for that long, because I forget things. Oh yeah, they they definitely. This is a this is part of uh this is in the nature of Middle Earth talking about the way the elves are. They are incredibly sharp mind over a long period of time. Uh, they also take a long time to mature as well. And sometimes I wonder, especially talking about Fanor, I wonder if some of this is actually a little bit of like uh, elven teenage angst to a certain degree. How youthful really is Fanor at this moment too? I don't know. It's a teenager. He could be. Yeah, sure. It's they a little act, bit a, like Capulet and Montague type of vibe. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, I yeah, I, I didn't think about that. Well, I'm just thinking like, because like what Nick said, like we don't, like we forget things. Yeah, they just but, fight. They just know that they're who the enemy We're Hatfields and they're McCoys. We're supposed to kill each other. That's yeah, like I don't I didn't grow up with like a mafia family. So I don't know what it's like to have like we're Irish, houses. they're Italian, we're supposed to yeah. blow up their gabagool. I'm just a mutt. Like I don't have any sort of loyalties. <laughs> and all of this is the whole reason that Galadriel had to get off the boat and swim across the ocean. 
That's the entire reason. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Lee holds I'm... a grudge, I guess, for a long time with Rings of Power. Yeah, Lee definitely holds grudges. He's good at that. I'm good at grudges. I have a long memory. <laughs> Sometimes I can't remember what I ate for lunch today, but I can remember that. Um, I I'm actually, really I'm kind of glad it. you mentioned Galadriel because I, I also kind of think of her in these things as well because she's, she's part of this family. Mm -hmm. um she's kind of she's the intersection of two different houses and definitely she does she has some of those noldor tendencies um which of course I'm, maybe that's I'm why she's so here. angsty and rings of power maybe it's her inner fan i think that was a happy accident like like when uh bob ross made a really beautiful mm -hmm. cloud but he really he actually just like you know twisted his wrist wrong and it worked out happy little accident so you're saying that rings of power galadriel is perfect Acc <laughs> accidentally if she is accidentally perfect it's just no she's teenage angsty galadriel yeah she's Maybe. like she's the galadriel that listens to slipknot on her <laughs> walkman <laughs> I'm done! It has begun! I'm not the only one! <laughs> that makes sense. I'm sold. If, if there's not a metal band named Mithril, then there should be, right? There should oh. be. Except that's a light metal. It's not heavy. It doesn't matter. It's like but a jazz kind of metal. It's also the there elevator to solve... music metal solve the dying trees all the elves are gonna die if you don't find it yeah there is a there is a metal band named after something from lord of the rings oh, what's that what's that band called i don't know but led zeppelin like oh, half their dude. songs are lord of the rings related somehow yeah that's really? true yeah they're talking about like hobbits and stuff like that. It's like, wow. Hereth Ungol. Oh, nice. Interesting. You could, you know, there's a lot of bands that you could make out of. Amon Tolkien's. The House of Tom Bombadil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Amon Rush had some Lord of the Rings songs too. Um, I think they they had a track called Rivendell. Hmm. There's and an apartment there's... complex near me called Rivendell, and it's like really run down and kind of gross. Uh, so pretty Jeez. sad. I mean, you would be too <laughs> after all these years. You should yeah. go and like um, vandalize their sign so it doesn't say Rivendell anymore, or like hit one of the. Um, the fire hydrants so that they can have some waterfalls somehow. <laughs> this was uh, the last homely house and we're going to make it homely again. Yeah. Make Rivendell homely again. Disclaimer, the literary Baptists do not endorse vandalism. <laughs> yeah, speak for yourself. 
Nick, Nick endorses vandalism. Yeah, I, only, I endorse only restorative vandalism. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Lee. Restorative vandalism. Just go listen to some corn because apparently the lead singer like converted to Christianity, so it's totally okay. Was there a guitarist? Listen to, listen Brian, to Brian corn. Head oh, there good, okay. See, Lee would know. Go listen to some corn and just turn one of the letters upside down. Like turn the V upside down so it looks like an N. And then it'd just be like Rinandel. Rinandel. Uh, Rinandel. And then it's no longer Rivendell. Yeah, that'd be better. <laughs> Man, now I want to do some metal scatting. I don't know if I've heard it. We already okay. know what jazz causes. <laughs> We've seen it here with the Silmarillion. So let's not. <laughs> yeah, did Tolkien? We didn't really talk about did Tolkien not like jazz? I bet you he didn't. Probably not. I could mm. see him listening exclusively to like Gregorian chants on vinyl. <laughs> no. I, I was actually thinking so I listened to um an, an the uh the audiobook for oh I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but it was, uh, he wrote, um, there's a, a fragment of an old poem uh, that he wrote like um, like a partner poem story to. And uh, I listened to the audiobook of it. Uh, the Battle of Malden, which is the, the original the like bronze age viking poem and then he wrote um the homecoming of beornoth or something like that i don't know how the, i don't know, can't remember how they pronounced it anyway uh he <laughs> tolkien like read it into like a a tape recorder in his office and made sound effects using things around his office like he took his office chair and made it squeak, and that was the wagon wheels that they're carting the casket on, and and he like sang a little bit too, like he did. He actually did like some like mass chant type stuff, and in the midst of it, I'm like, I think Tolkien could have been more fun to hang out with maybe than even C.S. Lewis. <laughs> like you have to be kind of a fun guy to come up with like stuff like that. And he would he like got he like backed away from the microphone at some times to like sound like people going nearby. Like it was it was very it was like a one man radio play that he did in his office. That's awesome. It was super cool. Again, another audiobook that people should own. It's mostly cool because he's famous. If I did that, people would be like, We're gonna have to call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, doesn't it sound like wagon wheels? <laughs> Don't let her homeschool her children. She's insane. Come sit down in the living room. We have an intervention ready. Oh my gosh. We have a banner and everything. Maybe Tolkien was just homeschooled. Maybe. He has that vibe. <laughs> or maybe World War One messed him up. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. So I like I haven't watched the Tolkien movie, like the biopic, but 
it's amazing how um well adjusted he is having come out of out of the some of the some of the worst parts of world war 1 this is a bad war yeah it was nuts i think the writing I, for for them was very cathartic him and cs lewis yeah I recommend the World War One Memorial Museum in Kansas City. It's Ooh. I I cried. Wow, I teared up. Wow. So it's and, and you're a real did man. Your, yeah. Did your tear <laughs> fall onto a mound and then a tree grew out of it later? Yes. In There's Flanders still trees Field, in Kansas City, because of me. <laughs> yeah, if you see any trees in Kansas City. That was because of my tears. And and a poppy grew under that tree. Yeah. Mm. All right, folks. Yeah, I have I... no more thoughts. Do you guys have any more thoughts? I don't. Any more any more powerful <clears throat> thoughts? Not a powerful thought. I'm just excited about this chapter because it's it's setting up the rest of the book. Yeah. I mean, really like the players are in play seven chapters of intro like yeah basically all the momentum for all the events of the rest of the first age start it with this chapter yeah things are about to get cray cray absolutely cray like furries crazy (laughs) yeah i only speak in like 2010s i don't know (laughs) i don't know any of this no cap. I wonder. We clearly do, but I don't know because because Lee says it. Yeah, people people in my in my real life also have learned Gen Z lingo through me, and and it's weird because I'm like I'm like an eighty year old man on the inside, but I speak like a teenager. <laughs> Yeah, for me, a lot of my stuff comes out as like just I'm being sarcastic and I'm joking, but then it becomes a real part of my uh, language. <laughs> and, I relate to that quite a bit. Yeah. And then the awkward part is when you do it with somebody that like doesn't understand sarcasm or irony. And they're like kind of look at you like, okay, you're real something. And you're also looking at them the same way as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is great. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm just. I'm. I'm just gonna say. I'm super excited for the rest of this book. Um, From here on, not that I didn't love the rest, but from here on out, it gets, it gets real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We finally got to the point where Maddie's invested. I'm super invested, especially since Arome popped back in this chapter for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, your boy Arome this, was in here. He, he, he was ready to mention. He got a shout yeah. out. Yeah, he got yeah, a name he, dropped. Him and Tulkas are yeah, out there. They ready to throw down. Yeah, looking for some Melkor cloud. Catch these hands. <laughs> <laughs> and Nahar was probably in the background. He's like, yeah, catch these hooves. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. I'm gonna stomp the crap out of your face. 
That was in the notes in one of Tolkien's letters. <laughs> Nahar. But Christopher decided not the to crap include it. Out your face. <laughs> Bet. With my hooves, I'm so crazy. <laughs> I yeah, they cut bet, that one out. fam. <laughs> Some reels were lit. <laughs> Literally lit. They were lit. Yeah, it's true. It was lit. Oh, dude, that was legit. <laughs> Way to go, Zach. Thank you. You guys sound no, like thank you. John MacArthur in that video when you say all this stuff. Oh, yeah, like, what was the Have thing? Have you ever seen like, that, that, other, that other, like, super nerdy, like, church rap video? Oh, I just I named something I that, that I don't stuff. have enough. In- oh, it's so cringy. I was talking about the like... John MacArthur Babylon B video where he, he was just like, I don't know. So he said something like, to, "I think he's like you straight girl. up ghosted me, fam. Not cool or yeah. something like that." Yes. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. Yes. That's oh my funny. Gosh. Yeah, I think that was. I think that was the phrase "straight up ghosted." Yeah, I think it was. That sounds right. Oh man. Well, he lives in California. I would it's about time that. something something affected him there. Yeah. He has he yeah. has teenage grandchildren. He ought to. He's probably hearing these things at the at the the macarthur family cookout or whatever they do <laughs> i'm so impressed with his 84 year old brain i'm just gonna throw that out there yeah yeah even though he's a leaky dispy i'm not even that sharp like now he, yeah i was gonna say he's sharper than i am i'm doomed yeah but. Well, and in, in, in COVID boiled our brains anyway, so it's only going to go downhill from here. That's right. Oh, that's Nothing so to bad. look forward to. That, that's why, like, we'll have to finish podcasting this before we all descend into <laughs> into oblivion. Yeah. Not speaking else. of MacArthur, how long did he take to get through Romans? That's about how long we're going to take to get through yep. this book. Yep. So. Yeah. So, line upon line, precept upon precept. <laughs> <laughs> Except for we're not a church, and that's why I can talk. That's right. Yeah, yeah. What what, what does Joel Osteen say? Yeah. This is my Bible. I am <laughs> what it says I am. Yes. I can do what it says I can do. Something, something. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same in Monway's name. Now, God bless stick you. Stick that Bible under your seat because I'm talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> that's basically what we do with this podcast, right? Yeah, you see this? Just forget all this. <laughs> We're going to put that away parts. now, and you're going to listen to me. I have a different copy than you guys. No, this is your, like, you're just grocery oh, shopping or yeah, pumping like gas. Version, Nick. I wish I had you. Mowing the lawn. Oh. Folding some laundry. Two, two copies. I want to try, I also... to, I try to make this the thumbnail. This is not. I still want to oh. read this. Oh yeah, yes. I I was just looking. So in I think it has a uh, prologemina on it. That's does it legit. really? Yeah, it's a legit like academic theology book. It's legit. Too legit to quit. There was a guy in one of my Facebook groups that posted 
that he was reading that alongside the the new Trinity book that Michael Bird put out, and somebody was getting all butt hurt. They're like, "How can a how can a Baptist write a book about Tolkien? Don't they know he he hated he was a Roman Catholic and does don't Baptists hate Roman Catholics? What did you just do?" <laughs> That was funny. Oh my gosh. We have no sets to rep. Just want to be, want to be clear to the to the public. Disagree. We have no set. Maybe Nick does. I do. Yeah. The podcast, the Literary Baptist, does not rep any particular set, even though I'm wearing red. That probably well, when smart. you come from a bact a Baptist background, um, in your little world, where you don't learn church history, it's it's true Baptists and Roman Catholics. Yeah. That's it. Everybody else, like, forget about every other denomination of Protestantism. That's like in your mind. That's all it is. You've got to set your landmarks, right, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, landmark. <laughs> I got a copy of of the landmark. I'm not related to the the graves who uh, pushed who all the landmark. the landmarkism, but uh, I did get a copy of his book. Since he has my last name, I was like, man, I'll take hard this. not to. Yeah, uh, but I, the I think that that's a big problem that. I think part of part of this is that the Roman Catholic Church is different. This doesn't apply for Tolkien, but over time, like the medieval church, that's ours. Francis has no claim to that. Really. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of it maybe, but that that's more ours than it is theirs. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who who went off the deep end of Trent. Uh, so there's part of like Tolkien, unless you read Aquinas, example. then you're as bad as Frankie. Yeah, we all know that exactly. Yeah, you maybe that's why come. Nick. That's why Nick is like we're Roman Catholic, really. Yeah, it's because you read Aquinas. Show us your exactly. Aquinas. I don't have my Baptist <laughs> papers with me. Swim the Tiber. Just uh, <laughs> I lost them in the river. Uh, <laughs> but. uh I, I think Tolkien was more connected to like the early medieval. And I, mm -hmm. it, while he, he stayed on, on the wrong side, I think in some ways he's, he is a little bit connected to mm -hmm. historic Christianity as opposed to some of the crazy stuff that, mm -hmm. that we see today. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was so connected to like medieval Roman Catholicism that, like he was one of the ones that like hated when they did away with the Latin mass and started using the vernacular. I don't think he stopped going to mass, but he was very unhappy when that happened. Hmm. They're he cracking did not want down to do on mass. it right now. Francis they really? hates it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, they're, they're really cracking down on it. It's all those trads. So, he can't stand the trads. Yeah, exactly. I could go on for like three more hours talking about this subject, but I'll really try hard not to. We should have an addendum. We should have a we should have a miscellany episode about this. Yeah. 
our our Is ventings it... about everything that's wrong with our skewed view uh, of the Reformation and all that. Yeah. Someone should write a book about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in like, you know, renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and make but it like 600, 600 pages of eight point type. <laughs> Maybe go two volumes. <laughs> that is it. that book should have been in two volumes because like i've been trying to it's matthew barrett's the reformation as renewal and like mm. the, the print is tiny the book is enormous and i'm like mm. i i just wish we could have like reformed dogmatics this <laughs> it had like four <laughs> volumes but oh well it's did you it's finish just not, it oh no not even close um I'm I'm going I'm planning to finish it. I would like to have it read by the end of this year, but I'm I will I will admit I am prioritizing our uh our reading challenge over any other materials that have come along over the course of the year. Mm. Cuz I am in it to win it. I still need it. to read the 2000 years of Christ's power that I got for Christmas. Ooh. All of them? Is that Needham? Nick them. Needham? <laughs> yes. I think it I think I even got his newest volume with that. I can't remember. So I, th- I think a newer vol like another volume came out recently, and I can't remember if it came out before Christmas or after. Hmm. Because I'm also a pagan and I celebrate Christmas, so there's that. <laughs> Well, you're reforming. <laughs> Soon enough, you'll you'll celebrate Festivus like the rest of us reformed Christians. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Soon enough, I'll stop having any sort of life and just exist a little bubble. I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're gonna hear about it. What do you mean, you people? I don't I don't know. Ask uh, ask Jerry Stiller. It's his line from Seinfeld. Okay. <laughs> do, do you wait, do you know Festivus, Nick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's the airing of grievances and feats of yeah. strength. Rand Paul does the airing of grievances every year. Oh yeah. For, for the, the federal government. The Rose of Kentucky. He's amazing. <laughs> Rose of Kentucky. <laughs> wow. He's a star. All right, folks. I have to go. So thank you for a, a scintillating conversation. As always, excited to see the uh the pressure mount in the Silmarillion and uh excited to see where we go next. Yep. So may uh, may Monway keep you in the one. And peace out.